This is 80s Revisited. I'm your producer, Jesse Sedgley. And now, your host, Trey Harris. Yeah, you're right. I talk too much. I also listen too much. I could be a cold-hearted cynic like you. But I don't like to hurt people's feelings. Well, you think what you want about me. I'm not changing. I like, I like me. My wife likes me. My customers like me. Because I'm the real article. What you see is what you get. I got something in my eye. <laughs> the music's actually really good here, too. Yeah. Were you going to come in? <laughs> oh, I thought you were. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I didn't realize you were recording that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my bad. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> I'll just, we'll, go, we'll go with it. That See, live <laughs> podcasting from across the United States. Welcome back to the grand finale of Candy Month here on 80s Revisited. And as you just listened to, that's the reason we're talking about John Candy, in my opinion. That's one of that's one of that's a beautiful scene, amazing. But in addition to John Candy, don't forget that I am, in fact, your host Trey Harris, and with me, as always, the Steve Martin to my John Candy producer extraordinaire Jesse Sedgley. Yes, I am. Yes, yeah, so we're fine. The long-awaited episode of Eighties Revisited: Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. There is a lot to talk about about this one. Let's get all the uh, technical specs out of the way so we can get on to the fun stuff. So this released November 27th, 1987. Movie about Thanksgiving came out around Thanksgiving. Imagine that. Hmm. Thankfully, you know, perfect marketing, good release. Uh, IMDb 7.6, criminally low in my opinion. Now, Rotten Tomatoes, this, this might be the highest Rotten Tomatoes congruence we've ever seen on the podcast. I have to go back and check. Not really. There's too many movies to do. But 92% critics 87% audience. Both of them nailed it. I'm more in line with the critics. This is a very, very highly rated movie for me. More on that in just a minute. Uh, but the budget, estimated at $30 million, which is a hell of a lot for an 80s comedy. Uh, opened, $7 million. Domestically, we go on to gross $49.5. Uh, that was just domestic. I couldn't find any information on rentals and all that kind of fun stuff. But uh, I meant to put in there, too. I didn't add it to my notes. But it, this opened... At number three, seven million was good enough for number three. Number one, it competed, had to compete with this one for number one, Three Men and a Baby. Uh, number two was Cinderella, the cartoon, which in a re release, which uh, if you look on the numbers.com, it, it's its uh, 1,972nd week in release. So <laughs> the re release of Walt Disney's Cinderella was good enough for number two. But again, Planes Trains was number three for the week. And between Three Men and a Baby, Cinderella, and Planes Trains Automobiles, we have a clear winner with planes, trains, and automobiles, in my opinion. But it was a good time to be at the movies, too, that weekend, because you also had The Running Man in its third week, was number five, with uh, $5.3 million. You had uh, Teen Wolf 2, think what you will about that one. Uh, that was number eight. And then Dirty Dancing, running at the top ten, Dirty Dancing in its eighth week, and Baby Boom in its fourth week. So, I'm sorry, excuse me, Dirty Dancing in its 15th week, Baby Boom in its eighth week. Eighth week. Without putting lines on a spreadsheet, sheet, it's a little hard. As we talked about last week with Uncle Buck... The director of Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, John Hughes, and it showed like I, I truly believe John Hughes' his best work is uh, when he's also directing. I think he he knows, as we talked about last week with Uncle Buck, he knows comedy so well, and he knows how to write and direct what he writes. 
mm-hmm. which is very, very rare, which again, we talked about last week. Don't want to repeat that too much, but it really shows in this film. Cause I mean, dear God, when they go between the 18 wheelers and it has the shots of the skull of the skeletons and then John Candy is Satan, that's John Hughes. Like, you know, I'm not sure that was in the script, but, or not, but brilliant. So really underrated in terms of his directing. Again, he also directed Uncle Buck, Ferris Bueller's Breakfast Club, Weird Science, all of which he also wrote. And of course, he also wrote this as well, as I mentioned. But again, he also wrote all the National Lampoon's Vacations. Uh, I'm not sure if he did Vegas Vacation, but of course, the original European and Christmas uh, and Home Alone. Don't forget that. Uh, probably That's probably his biggest hit that he didn't write. Aside, Well, I guess, you know, National Lampoon's ones are really big, but I mean, Home Alone was a blockbuster. Uh, cinematography was by Donald Peterman. Now, this guy's good. This film was exceptionally well lit, well shot, but he also did Star Trek IV, Men in Black, and mm. the 90s action Swayze Keanu classic, Point Break. Mm. Of course, uh, now, of course, there's two huge 80 stars in this film, in, in, the, in the form of John Candy and Steve Martin. A beautiful pair on screen, undeniable chemistry. I'd say even better than what Candy had with Levy or uh, didn't really have a big co-star in Uncle Buck, but uh, let's see, what was the other one? Arnold Dangerous. Uh, Dan Aykroyd. Much better. Ke- like I think that this is perfect chemistry, in my opinion, and played to a T by his co-star, Steve Martin, as well. Of course, we all know what Johnny, John, Johnny, Johnny Candy, uh, what Johnny Candy's played in, but of course, Steve Martin as Neil, veteran of the podcast, Three Amigos, Roxanne, Parenthood, which is another movie like Uncle Buck that hits you really differently as an adult. <laughs> Cause I saw that one in the theater and as a kid, the only thing I remembered about parenthood was when you're sliding in the first and you feel something burst diarrhea uh, <laughs> and the balloon animal part, but watching parenthood as an adult, like I said, like uncle buck, totally different movie and a much better movie as an adult than as a kid. But also of course, Steve Martin uh, veteran SNL cast member as well. Uh, Lelia Robbins was Susan, uh, Steve Martin's wife in the film. She was most recently in the Amazon show, the boys, but mainly regulated or, uh, most of her career is television for the most part. Uh, and here's the awesome thing about this movie or uh, a really not odd, but a very unique thing about it as well. In addition to some two of the, you know, some of the greatest, probably one of the greatest comedic duo films ever made. And yes, I'll put that out there without even thinking about any others. Uh, this film has so many character actors in it at every little part, every little speaking part in this film is practically a, one of those, you know, 150 credit IMDb, character actors and actresses mm. aside from Kevin Bacon, of course, cause he's obviously a list, but yeah, just to start off, we'll go ahead and talk about Kevin Bacon. He, the taxi racer in the beginning, of course, trimmers Friday, the 13th, the original hollow man footloose, you know, Kevin Bacon is a huge star and a great villain in the film, uh, super with rain Wilson. If you haven't seen it, check it out. A great James Gunn film, uh, Dylan Baker as Owen. He was in trick or treat last on the Mohicans requiem for a dream. When you see him, you're like, I know that guy from something. Just like you'll know Michael McKean as a state trooper who pulls him over. He was Mr. Green in Clue. He was in Spinal Tap. He's the older brother in Better Call Saul, which is probably the greatest thing he's ever done because he's so good in that role. Uh, Edie McClurg, you know, stereotypical, or uh, let me, that's not, wrong, that's not what I'm trying to say. Uh, probably the greatest character actress ever, and not just in the 80s, uh, as a car rental agent. Of course, she was uh, the mean bitch in Elvira. She's in Ferris Bueller's, putting all the pencils in her hair. Carrie, Wreck-It Ralph. She has over 218 credits on IMDb. So she is a, as far as I'm concerned, she is a legend uh, in character acting, character actors. Uh, Ben Stein was also in this film. He was the Wichita Airport representative. Mm -hmm. Of course, Ferris Bueller. uh, 
the Clear Eyes commercials is where I remember yeah. him a lot from, and especially the I thought was a, a show that a game show that I loved on Comedy Central, Win Ben Stein's Money. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a very uh, time capsule yeah. <laughs> reference there. Seeing that Jimmy show, Jimmy Kimmel. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, until you said that, I didn't even think about <laughs> that it was on that show too. Wow. Because yep. I mean, like they replay that show anywhere. You have to go to YouTube to watch it. Mm-hmm. But a great little, great little show. Uh, Martin Ferrero. He's the second motel clerk. Uh, he's the lawyer from Jurassic Park. So if you're watching this, I'm like, I know that guy from somewhere. You know him from Jurassic Park. He's the one, you know, maybe we could have a coupon day. And the one that gets, you know, unceremoniously eaten by a Tyrannosaurus Rex while sitting on the toilet with his pants still on. Because, uh, of course, you can't have a T-Rex bite somebody off a toilet and then they're wang doodle and butt hanging out. Why not? PG-13 movie. And then Larry Hankin was Doobie. We talked about him. He was also in Armed and Dangerous and also Breaking Bad, another character actor. He sort of, he reminds me of... Uh, Ah, oh, crap. Blanking on the name. Uh, character actor from Alien that died very last year. Oh, man. Can't think of his name. Mm. Oh, my bad. I'll think of it later. But <laughs> Alien and uh, oh, Harry Dean Stanton. Harry Dean Stanton. Uh, there we go. Got it. Got it. Got it. <laughs> I had to think for a second. But, uh, he, you know, Harry Dean Stanton was that. I think he had, there's even a documentary about him, how he, everybody in Hollywood knew him because he was in everything. Uh, but Larry Hankin looks kind of like Harry Dean Stanton. So is Harry Dean Stanton available for this? No, nah, they give me Larry Hart Hankin. Uh, they look very similar. So yeah, now we get to finally talk about the movie itself. Uh, the long-awaited opinion part. Well, in case you haven't guessed or listened to every episode so far, it's the best John Candy movie. Uh, and not just that, it is one of the best comedy movies of all time, in my opinion. It would absolutely be top 10 for me. Uh, I remember I didn't see this movie originally like when I was a little kid. This was one that, you know, caught on TV when it came on TV eventually on ABC. You know, the ABC Saturday Night Movie, planes, trains and automobiles. And then, of course, you know, cable channels played it a lot. And that's when that's when I was for, you know, first saw it. You know, I never saw the actual version till much later till I rented it, you know, uh, from Blockbuster on DVD. And that's when I finally got to hear the unedited, you know, F-bomb uh, basically the part that gave this movie an R rating <laughs> in the movie when he's talking to Edie McClurg. But I mean, this movie is so from start to finish. It's so funny. I mean, it's perfectly shot, perfectly acted as far as I'm concerned. Uh, there's not a dull moment in the film, you know, and John Candy is peak. I mean, this is, he's so good. Uh, I had a roommate when I first got my uh, when I first bought my house. I had two roommates, and one of them was a friend of mine who unfortunately passed away. Uh, actually, he passed away the first. I got, we we got I got the news that he passed away the first day that we recorded this podcast, mm. uh, which was odd. Uh, and I just remember that right now. <laughs> uh, but he was he was very much like John Candy in this film, like the biggest heart you could think of, but. He had to, <laughs> he picked the wrong part to make me watch while I'm talking because <laughs> between the 18 wheelers, that's so genius. But uh, yeah, he was a roommate of mine. His name was Scott, and he was, you know, loved him to death. Great guy, but just couldn't live with him. You know, if you've ever had roommates, you know, nothing. Not, I will never ever say anything bad about him. Not just because he passed away, but because you know there was nothing bad to say. It's just we couldn't. It, we, it wasn't a compatible mix to live together. We could hang out, couldn't live together. Uh, long story. Sh- long but uh anyway but you very much like john candy's character and i honestly i'm very much like steve martin's character in this so if i had to pick like you know i'm not an asshole like he is i I'm, I'm nicer like john candy's character but you know i like i like you know a little nicer hotel room if i'm going out i pay for i, I don't mind paying for convenience if that makes any sense you know if i you know if i get an airplane seat i want to sit by the aisle 
I don't want to sit in the middle. I'm, you know, I have those little, I have a lot of little, uh, I guess, OCD ticks about me. I don't know how you'd like to describe it, but, you know, but, uh, that's the thing. that's why I love this movie because I see myself in Steve Martin. I see myself in John Candy because I'm on a, I'm, I'm, I'm a very lucky person, but not in terms of like, you know, what luck means, if that makes sense. Like uh, me and Autumn went to, we, one time we were in Vegas and I, I don't gamble in Vegas because I, I, I'm not, I lose. I just have an, I have an anti-luck charm or hex put on me some at some point in my life to where I cannot, I cannot win in games like that. Uh, Autumn was, I want to go to the bathroom after having some drinks in New York, New York. She's playing a slot machine because there's slot machines everywhere. And then she, she won like 50 bucks. I immediately walk up after the bathroom and I'm within five feet of her and she lost it all because of me being too <laughs> close to the machine. So I'm not, you know, but, but what I'm getting at is, is like, you know, like Steve Martin, I, I'm the, that it's my luck to go to the rental car lot and get dropped off in the snow and the car is not there. That's, my, you know, a lot of stuff that happens to him. That's my luck. I say like, oh, that's totally my luck. Uh, you know, but uh, it's just, this film is so good. It's so like, these, like, you know, you have movies like The Three Amigos that are like purely ridiculous, but they're still, they're still great fun and they still have that little heartwarming moment in it. But then you have comedies like this that, you know, and it's, and honestly, it's a trademark of John Hughes. This is a John Hughes film. Ridiculously funny, like, you know, it's a comedy, but it's a comedy drama. The end, or you know, the, what we opened with, because I know y'all expected us to open with the the f bomb tirade. But this is, you know, we don't we don't take we don't take kindly that fucking language around here. Wink, <laughs> wink. But uh, you know, it's just like his character in this film is so good. It's he's so funny, he's so sad, but it, it's 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 good. It's it's just so well done. Uh, especially like the moment where he's telling Steve Martin like he's happy with himself. You know, and then the again, spoiler alert. So if you have not watched this movie, turn it off now. I don't want to spoil this for you. I'm giving you fair warning. When you actually, here's a spoiler. When you actually find out his wife's dead after the whole movie, it fi- like it's it, it's such a twist at the end where it- <laughs> get that screen off. <laughs> it's a skeleton joke again. Like I'm, I, yeah. I, I forget that that's in this movie every time I watch it. So then I get caught off guard every time, like just dying laughing. It's like the skeleton scene in Home Alone Two where he he touches the washing machine, which is yeah. like the funniest moment of any Home Alone in my opinion. Because uh, Daniel Stern is that physical comedy aspect, but anyway. Uh, where was I? <laughs> See, it threw me off with the skeleton. Yeah. But you know, this like John, K- like this this movie has such a good heart to it. It you know, it's something everybody can relate to. It's criminally, I think it's underrated. You know, a lot of if you know if you've seen this movie, to see this movie is to love it. It holds up exceptionally well. It's still funny. It's still good. This is a movie when I'm watching it, and then like at the end, I'm like, oh crap, I forgot John Candy is. You know, John Candy's not around anymore. You kind of forget it because it, it feels. Mm. You know, there's technology aspects that it doesn't have like today. Like if they just had a cell phone, it would all have been solved with Uber and right. stuff like that, you know. <laughs> so, you know, obviously, you know, there's there's the it is kind of a time stamped a little bit in that. But anybody in our age group that's ever traveled, there's some point in here where something that happened to them has happened to you. Flight being delayed, canceled, you know, certain thing that happens to everybody. So there's it's infinitely relatable or always relatable, I should say. You know, it's just, it's so, I can't, I can't say it enough. It's just a, it's just a good movie. Like it's a truly good movie. When you're finished watching it, you're happy. You know, it's, and you, you know, you laugh so hard. You had some heartfelt moments, you know, some good moments with the character. You know, the characters, are, they, they play it perfectly. <laughs> These screenshots, somebody, whoever put all the screenshots on IMDb got the, the best moments. 
you know, it, it's it's so good. I mean, it, it's it's every it's it's sarcastic comedy, it's slapstick comedy, it's surreal comedy. It's it's got everything, you know. And it's and it's it's honestly, how many movies can you watch? You know, are are actually Thanksgiving movies? Mm-hmm. If you don't watch this every Thanksgiving, put it in your rotation now. It's such a good movie. I, I, I okay, I need to stop saying it. Y'all, y'all know I think it's a good movie, <laughs> Jesse. <laughs> I know you've seen this movie. What are your thoughts on planes, trains, and automobiles? It's honestly been too long since I've seen it. Um, I had intentions to watch it before this, uh, before this podcast, but uh, I had a lot of work this week, and so yep. it'll have to be queued <laughs> you know up that goes. after we record. <laughs> but still, well, we'll yeah. It. Here you go. Here you go. There's your cut, Mark. Oh, yep. great opinion, Jesse. I agree with you totally. <laughs> Editor Jesse here. I did watch Planes, Strange and Automobiles right after we finished recording this podcast, and I love it. It's a great Thanksgiving movie, has a lot of heart, a lot of moments, and on with the show. Yeah, but uh, yeah, you, I mean, believe, I know mean, in your taste, how art, you know, we have very similar tastes in some, mm-hmm. in a lot of regards to some things, you know, I'm pretty sure it's, you know, very positive, much like mine, uh, and everything. So, but of yeah. course, we, this is one of, as I mentioned before, we've I've wanted to cover it on the podcast a lot, but I, I did not want to cover it unless it was Thanksgiving. We could release it, you know, the day, uh, you know, for Thanksgiving, but, you know, in that time frame. Yeah. Otherwise, it doesn't make sense. Uh, not that we couldn't do it anytime. Don't get me wrong. But like I've said before, you know, you release a Halloween movie around Halloween. You release a, a movie that involves the beach in summertime. We try to follow that on the podcast, too, as best we can. <laughs> uh, <laughs> these screenshots. <laughs> Jesus. But, uh, you know, so finally got to it. But, yeah, and it's been long requested. And every I don't know anybody that doesn't like this movie. Not that there's people out there that don't. But, like, this is a film that. It just endears like this is one that, you know, I, you know, much like a, a Wonderful Life is incredibly dated, you know, and it, it feels, it, you know, when I when I'm watching a Wonderful Life, you know, until it kind of gets to the meat and bones of it, which is, you know, him wishing, wishing father, I wish I was dead. Now, I wish I'd never been born. That kind of part, you know, it's a, kind of a little bit of a slog if you've seen it. But like every time I watch It's a Wonderful Life, by the end of it, I'm like, I'm so glad I watched it. And I got to wipe that tear from my eye. Hmm. This one is never a slog. And is always like I look like the the best thing about Thanksgiving for me is stuffing and watching planes, trains, and automobiles. You know, this is a Thanksgiving staple and will always be a Thanksgiving staple in my house. Not that you can't watch anytime you want to because it's that good. (laughs) (laughs) See, like we talk again, this is proof positive of John Hughes's directing (laughs) that shot where he's in the airport. And see, okay, because of course, you know. I'm talking about some visual and audio podcast, but bear with it because you've seen the movie when they're in the airport where Steve Martin's like trying to remember where he saw him from. Yeah. You know, most directors take the cheap route and would show the clip from earlier mm. where he sees him in the cab. But no, John Hughes is smart. He knows that that's that's easy. That's not funny. It's more funny to have him sitting in the airport with a cab door in front of him <laughs> and then make the face again. That's comedy. <laughs> that is genius comedy. That is that is good directing. That is good comedic directing. That is what you didn't have in Armed and Dangerous. That's what you know you didn't have enough of in Great Outdoors that could have really sold that movie. You know, John Hughes had directed Great Outdoors. It would have been immensely funnier. I have now. I think I said that in that episode. But after watching Uncle Buck and Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, you know, practically back to back, a hundred percent. You know, if it says written by John Hughes, it would have been a better movie if he directed it. And I'll even say that for Home Alone. No, no shade against Chris Columbus. It's still a great movie. But John Hughes, 
expect i mean just go watch uncle buck and look we talked about in plane trains automobiles watch any of the ones he directed they're you know quintessential 80s movies for sure but just the skill in directing them and you know half a comedy is timing and you know of course you know editing and such you know goes into that too when you're making a movie but knowing when when to what to shoot when to cut and everything like that plays so heavily into this you know the scene where the car bursts on fire you know candy looks back steve martin looks back you know the perfect beat before they the reaction. It's so well done. <laughs> Can't say that enough. So now there is a. I would encourage you. I'm only going to go over some high points here, or you know some big, some big trivia. The trivia on this movie is enormous on IMDb. Uh, so you know if there, if you want even more trivia than I'm about to say, by all means go to IMDb. That's a crazy poster. <laughs> wherever that's from, <laughs> international poster. <laughs> really weird. It's like their their mask, the uh, laughter and anger mask, uh, theater masks. Yeah, if you go on IMDb, uh, photo two oh seven of two seventeen, it's a uh, it's, it's a interesting. Wild. Yeah, but uh, but I like how they incorporated the planes, trains, and automobiles. <laughs> yeah. Like that's great. Uh, now I wish I would have had that, and then the co- the cover of them sitting there, like in the American VHS, instead of the weird mask thing. But <laughs> cool, very cool art. But anyway, uh, just let me just go ahead and get through this trivia because, like I said, it's a lot. John Hughes in an interview uh, on the DVD, which might also be on the Blu-ray. I'm not sure because I only have the DVD. He said that uh, he was inspired to write the film's story after an actual flight he was on from New York to Chicago was diverted to Wichita, Kansas, taking him five days to get home, which is pretty much the exact story mm. of the movie. So very true to life. And it's also John Candy and Steve Martin's favorite film of their own. Or excuse me, was John Candy's favorite and it's Steve Martin's favorite film of his own. Uh, the exterior shot of the aircraft in flight is actually the exact same shot from airplane of the plane <laughs> flying at night. So uh, kind of an in in joke or uh, in, yeah in joke uh, reference to mar- uh, marathon uh, airplane there the OG airplane 1980 uh, the marathon rental scene is exactly one minute long from the time Steve Martin starts his tirade to the time the attendant ends the scene which is Eden McClurg in that 60 seconds the F word is used 18 times and the film easily would have been a PG or PG 13 <laughs> if it were not for that one scene. So that's why this is a great film you can watch with anybody, you know, of all ages. Just remember when it gets to the used car, uh, the uh, rental car scene, to mute it for one minute, mm-hmm. and then all ages can watch this movie. Wow! Although actually, in the cab they take to the first motel, they do show the roof of the cab, and I think there's some nudie pictures on it. Uh, I'm not sure if it actually shows anything, but it's suggestive, so some people might not appreciate that. But yeah, if you're a, if you don't want your kids to watch language, or you know. You don't want your old grandma Ethel to hear the F-bomb 18 times in one minute, have a heart attack and die at the Thanksgiving table. You know, if you have it on, just mute that scene and you're good. There's really nothing else in it. You know, like I said, could have easily been a PG, PG-13. Uh, but you have to have that scene in it because that is the that is when Steve Martin's character has had enough. Uh, and it's I think it's pivotal to the movie, honestly, uh, for his character, you know, his character arc. Like this is the boiling point to where it's all downhill from there. And eventually, the res- you know, he. Him and John Candy become friends by the end for that incredible heartwarming ending. Uh, mm. And on, I thought this was really interesting. Uh, on instruction from John Hughes, and also a testament to John Hughes' direction because he likes a lot of improvisation. Some directors hate improvisation. I mean, you got Steve Martin and John Candy. And after reading this, you also got Edie McClurg. So you got some amazing improvisational people here. So yeah, give them that, you know, as a director, you, it's stu- it would be stupid not to do it. But anyway, uh, her role as a rental car agent was partially improvised, and he pretty much told her to riff a fake phone conversation with somebody about Thanksgiving plans while Steve Martin remains in line waiting and staring for her to finish. 
So she came up with the entire idea to speak to her sister about who was going to make what for adding, you know, or doing, making what, who's making what for Thanksgiving. And, uh, she did it like literally right there on the spot. And then Hughes, like after the take, she was like, you know, how'd you come up with that so quickly? And she replied that like his scripts, she drew on it from her own life and claims to this day that random people still come up to her and ask her to tell them that they're fucked. Cause of course her, her only line or her last line in the film to see Martin is you got your rental agreement. He's like, I threw it away. And she's like, you're fucked. And then the scene, <laughs> you know, perfect editing right there. Scene's <laughs> over where she gets to tell him to F off basically. So a great little bit of improvisation there from the great Edie McClurg, who's still alive and still working. So uh, always fun to see her pop up. And then uh, Steve Martin also mentioned about his late co-star, uh, John Candy, about the similar how similar he actually was to his character of Dell. And quote to quote Steve Martin, well, he was a very sweet guy, very sweet and complicated. And so he was always friendly, always outgoing and, you know, funny and nice and polite. But I could always tell he kind of a little broken heart inside of him, which is so heartbreaking because of course at the end of the film you know like oh you know when he finally confronts him, like dell why are you still here and he's like you know my wife died eight years ago and just like oh my god like this whole time you know he's talking he talks about how much he loves his wife it's so sad it's so heartbreaking and to know that there was something in his life that was very similar to that or that he kind of carried with him that steve martin picked up on you know it, it just it really speaks to candy's humanity and uh you know again like we kind of said about the beginning start off the beginning of this this month is just how much I think he's an actor that I think transcended his uh, personality in the movie to where like, you know, I've never, I mean, not that he I mean, was never a mean person. Everybody has their moments. I'm not saying anybody's a saint, but you always, you know, if I went looking and I, my research quote unquote, you know, was that he was a hell of a nice guy to pretty much everybody that he worked with, you know, and he's a lot of what you saw on screen was how he was in reality, which just, you know, that's so beautiful to me because his, especially, you know, look at uncle buck, look at this film, just his characters in this film. You just want to give him a big hug. Just like, you know, I wish I had an uncle buck, you know, wish I knew it. Like I did, like I said, I did not kind of know Adele, uh, a Dale, not Adele, the singer. I wish I knew her because <laughs> love her to death. But, uh, anyway, so, you know, always really just warms my heart to just hear how much of a good guy he was and to see it again and again, uh, throughout what people say about him. Uh, let me see where oh so many notes I lost my place okay here we go uh, Neil's house was actually a set uh, seven a seven room set taking five months to complete and it costed cost around a hundred thousand dollars which the executives at Paramount were furious about and actually caused turmoil on the set but I mean they only show like his entryway his kitchen and a bedroom I think if I remember correctly so I'm not sure why but but there was a ton there was like over three hours there was like a th there's a you know there's "Quote unquote the Hughes cut," which our friend uh, was it John Hastings, Mike Hastings. I'm sorry if I forgot uh, mispronounced your first name. Mike right. uh, uh, was mentioning, you know, he, he tagged us in a thing like, you know, release the Hughes cut. Absolutely, if there mm -hmm. was a, you know, this needs an extended edition because there, if you watch this on TV, there are scenes that aren't in the actual version. There are TV version scenes, much like the original Halloween and a lot of movies. I like there's a, tel a scene on tel the television version where uh, while they're on the plane and Steve Martin's eating, somebody in front of him. Uh, puts their hair over the back of the seat and the hair gets all in his food. And, you know, obviously, I, I mean, I wouldn't eat that. Like, I'm, I'm not hungry anymore if that happened because that's exceptionally rude. So if you travel and you have long hair, do not do that, please. Uh, but Dell, John Candy, like, dusts the hair off and takes the brownie because he wants the brownie, you know, cut, you know, deleted scene like that. Still funny, and I can uh, I remember seeing that, and I'm, I'm 
absolutely sure you can see it on YouTube, but there is so much footage that we have that's just locked away. And I know I have it somewhere on these notes. Let me see where I'm at. Uh, I'll get to it in a second. But uh, prior to shooting, John Candy arrived with exercise equipment for him to use during production. Cruz had installed a treadmill, a bench press, weights, and other exercise gear in his hotel suite. And Steve Martin said John Candy never used any of it, which uh, that's, that's every one of us. I bought a rowing machine like two months ago or three months ah, ago. Jeez, probably six months ago. I uh, used it twice. Uh <laughs> so it's still sitting in the garage. Uh, but honestly, in my defense, for rowing, a rowing machine, you have to have the proper technique or you're not really doing anything. And I just haven't you – know, when I realized that after buying it and putting it together, I was like, oh, I thought I could just row. No, it's very specific technique, and I haven't devoted the time, the 30 minutes it would take to learn it. That's on me. Not compl- you know, It's all about me <laughs> about that. So I understand, everybody understands that. Everybody's gotten a gym membership chip or some weights that they use twice and now they're under their bed or somewhere else they never use them so i thought that was funny but uh john hughes also is known on all of his movies for staging improvisational moments for his actors to get a genuine reaction and he was not really satisfied with the owen scene introduction in the uh, beginning of the film where him and steve martin shake hands so before one take he privately instructed dylan baker to wipe his spit off his right hand just before shaking hands with steve martin and see, Martin's not expecting it, expecting it. So his disgusted reaction to shaking his saliva slathered hand is genuine in the film. Wow. Uh, and the crew reportedly exploded with laughter because right after the take, Martin ran to the bathroom to wash his hands. So, uh, of course, in the age of COVID, you would never do you know, right. that's, that's a huge no-no nowadays. <laughs> but, you know, that. but see, to me, that's good directing. You know, John – I'm sorry, not John. Uh, uh, direct William Friedkin on The Exorcist would fire off a, a fake gun to get people to you – know, bad timing with everything going on with Alec Baldwin, you know, but uh, we'll do that now, but he would fire off a gun with blanks to make people jump on the set when he wanted a reaction. You know, is that a little sadistic? Some, I guess you could say it is, but when you get, you know, you get that genuine reaction from an actor, you know, and it's in the movie, it's worth it. Uh, I'm not saying it's worth it when William Friedkin had them jerk the fuck out of Ellen Birdstein to drag her back and injure her back for the rest of her life in The Exorcist. But when you see her do that in the film, you're like, holy shit. Like, damn, that must have hurt. And it did. Uh, so, uh, yeah. And according to editor Paul Hurst, the original cut of the movie was three hours and 40 minutes long. I would watch that right now if I had that in front of me. Mm-hmm. Uh, he and John Hughes edited it down to two hours. It was test screened and was probably used to edit trailers for the film because you see a lot of deleted scenes in the trailer. It was then edited down again to an hour and 33 minutes. So less than a third of what they shot ended up what we see. And if, you know, I guarantee you that more than an hour and 33 minutes of what they shot was worthy enough to be put in the film. But, you know, again, comedies, you want that 90 minute part is a sweet spot. This film hits it. There are several inconsistencies in the film. If you're paying attention, one of which I'll mention in a little bit when I get to it, wherever I wrote it in my notes uh, for, you know, to know that a scene was missing. You know, but it, it plays good at an hour 33. Don't get me wrong, but I would absolutely watch an extended cut you know, uh, of the film. But uh, also the, the editor also says a two-hour version does exist, but he has no clue where it would be in the vaults of Paramount or somewhere. Uh, the train used in the movie is still dormant and sits in a small rural station in western New York town, in the western New York town of Gowanda, G-O-W, like go, 
Wanda, like Wanda, uh, WandaVision. Uh, the contract logos are still present on the engine and cars, and it's remained unused since the making of the film. So if you are a listener and you live no, near Gowanda, go take some pictures of this and document this for posterity because I'm not sure if anybody has. And that's, you know, if I was there, I'd go take a little screw off the train and put it in my display case, you know, kind of a, a part of a prop. Not that you should go do that. I'm just saying that's what I would do. Uh, the exterior of the rental car place was designed to resemble that. Oh, I'm sorry. Let me start over. <clears throat> the exterior of the rental car itself was designed to resemble the Griswold station wagon, which the second he pulled up every time I'm like, Oh yeah, it's a gri- oh, that looks like the uh, Griswold's car. Cause it's that green wood panel uh, station wagon kind of look. Uh, so that was intentional. Cause obviously national Limits vacation is a John Hughes universe property, so to speak. And I thought this was really interesting. Ellen John and Gary Osborne were commissioned to compose a theme song for this film, and they had just about finished writing it just two days before they were going into the studio to record it. When Paramount Pictures, the execs, you know how they screw everything up, issued a last-minute demand that the original songmaster has to be property of the studio, but Elton's recording company, Polygram, said, ah, no, 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 no. Hmm. Elton is under contract to us. His music belongs to us. Uh, not even Elton himself. Uh, which you, you know, a lot of artists back in the day signed contracts like that. You know, I think Queen, The Beatles, a lot of them had contracts like that. Uh, so Paramount and Polygram couldn't reach an agreement. So therefore, there's no Elton John theme song. And that's why we have Paul Young's Every Time You Go Away, <laughs> which fits. It works. It's an 80s, it's an 80 classic 80s song. And also of note, the Elton John original theme song was never recorded. So there's no way to even hear it mm-hmm. or even know what could have been unless you know Elton John and he has played it for you at his house or something. Okay. Uh, originally, this now half of this casting could work, but I think there's no better casting than they got for the film. Originally, Hughes himself wanted Tom Hanks for Neil and John Travolta for the John oh. Candy role. Oh my God! Oh my God, Mister Gotta No, that, that's like, that's Christopher Walken. That's Christopher Travolta when I do it because it's <laughs> I, I don't know who it, I don't know who I'm trying to imitate there. Uh, but yeah, John Travolta would absolutely not working in this movie. Right. I can see Tom Hanks being that manic character mm-hmm. like he was in the eighties comedies in the Martin role, but it would not be as funny. I think because Martin just has that extra little level of that kind of attitude. If that makes any sense, uh, Tom Hanks could have absolutely done it, but it would not be, have been as good as the pairing that we got of Steve Martin, and John Candy. I don't think there's nobody else you could plug into this role in the two leads. In my opinion, that could have done a better job. I literally think we got the best version that could ever exist of this film is what we got personally. Uh, I thought this was pretty funny because I'm a, a Star Trek voice. Oh, it should be the studio Paramount didn't want Travolta because he was considered box office poison at the time. Because this is 87. This is not 92, 4, whenever it was when Pulp Fiction came out and basically revitalized Travolta's career. Uh, so that's why that's one reason he wasn't in it. So thank God for him not being in demand at the time. Because if this came out after Pulp Fiction, we probably would have got Travolta in this movie, which, oh my God, would have been terrible. Uh, <laughs> you know, I don't, again, sorry, again, I, am, I have never claimed to be good at impressions. Just remember that, everybody. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, the house used as Neil's family home, the exterior shot, is actually a house in Kenilworth, Illinois on Warwick Avenue, and the house used in Home Alone is on Lincoln Avenue in uh, Winnetka. I'm not sure how you pronounce it. Sorry, any Winnetka residents. It's one town over because every time I see this movie, I'm like, oh, that looks almost just like the house of Home Alone. That same kind of whatever yeah. kind of architect. I'm not an architect person. Person. I'm not. A, uh, I'm not. I've never paid attention to any of Art Vandelay's designs to know anything about <laughs> architecture. 
but they look the same for that first shot when they show the extras like that's like the home alone house so whatever they were whoever's making a lot of homes in illinois in the 80s and 70s very similar styles to them uh so they do look very similar and uh i, I like star trek i like the next generation i like voyager i didn't care for deep space nine because it was so heavy to watch because the story arcs were like 10 episodes each original series is cheesy but fun as I mentioned before, but uh, future Star Trek Voyager star Jerry Ryan, seven of nine, who pretty much made Star Trek really hot, so to speak, when she was introduced on the show, uh, was actually an extra in the bus scene. But her part was cut from the final relief because she John Hughes had to tell her to leave because she could not stop laughing at Martin and John Candy, <laughs> which honestly, I'm right there with you, sis. Like if you know that would I couldn't imagine being an actor on this or an extra on this set with these two guys doing a, an improvisational scene, like they would, I would have, I would have been going after the first take. I would not have been able to stop laughing. Like, honestly, like, uh, you know, Jerry, like 90% of the people in the world would not be able to do that anyway. So, you know, you're not alone. You're in good company with being, <laughs> with laughing at that. Uh, and the house used for Neil's family home. Oh, wait, I already said that. Sorry. I skipped, uh, uh, went ahead of my notes. I thought this was pretty funny and it makes sense. No transportation company wanted to appear inept or deficient in any way. So all the, the train company, the plane company, the uh, rental car company are all fake because nobody wanted to sponsor the movie <laughs> to seem like they couldn't do their job. Right. So they had to pretty much <coughs> – excuse me. Uh, they had to rent 20 miles of train track and refurbish old railroad cars, which is why I mentioned earlier that, that Comtrack – or I think it was Comtrack. Is that what I said? I lost it. Yeah, contract. Excuse me, not contract. Comtrack. Hey, there you go. Movie idea. Nicholas Cage into Con Air sequel. Contract. Cameron <laughs> Poe, you, you you killed somebody again. You're going back to jail. No, no, it was self-defense. I didn't do it. But now you're back on a plane with other criminals again. But it's a train, not a plane. Con train. Welcome to, welcome to Con Train. <laughs> there you go. Copyright 80s Revisited 2021. Jesse Sedgley, Trey Harris. Uh, see, that's the thing. Like, you know, Eli, yeah, it ticks me off. You got these billionaires out there that are like, you know, let's go to space, which, you know, that's cool. You know, I thought it was cool when Elon did it. But now that I know that there, it's all these billionaires competing, it, I think it's just stupid. Right. You know, at this point, like if I was if I if, for you know, the lottery got up to a billion and for some reason I won it. But again, my luck doesn't work that way. It will never happen. Uh, I wouldn't like, you know, I would don't I, I would I would end world hunger. Or try to, <laughs> you know, I would I would help poverty. You know, I, I would I would I would like to think that that's what I would do. You know, every man's a hero in their head till they become the villain. Uh, <laughs> but I would start a movie studio making the movies that I want to see. You know, we would have Con Train, <laughs> and I, I guarantee you, it would make fuck. It would make its budget back at least. So I'm breaking <laughs> even at least. I guarantee you, it would make money. I mean, come You're on, not people. Paying much for them. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I just think Nicholas Cage. You know, I, I would, I would, I wouldn't care. I would lose millions of dollars. I wouldn't if I had a billion dollars. I wouldn't care if I lost a hundred million dollars. You know, if I had, a, let me phrase that. If I had a billion dollars after taxes, I wouldn't care if I lost a hundred million on a movie because I would get. You know, now would I waste it on like ten movies? No, <laughs> but believe me, whatever it would take. If I want to had a billion dollars tomorrow, the first thing I would do, aside from getting a lawyer and making sure that you know it's handled properly, would be to get in contact with Steve Martin, Chevy Chase, and Martin Short to get our three amigos sequel made before <laughs> one of them passes away. That'd be the first thing I do next would probably be to get the talent on board to make the mass effect movies. After that, you know, that'll be my first movies to make, but then everything else would be these, you know, get, get some bonafide hits under our belt and then just make the movies we want to see. Like literally the movies we want to see. Like, I don't, we don't even care if it does good, you know, 
But this con con train movie is gonna happen <laughs> with Casper Van Dien. We'll get you know all these character actors. We'll get Nick Cage because he'll do anything. And I think he, you know I get along with Nick Cage. I think I think we I think we'd be great friends, Nick. <laughs> so you know just just come hang out with me, please. I've, I've defended you my whole life on this podcast. But uh, <laughs> yeah, anyway. So uh, getting back to that bit of trivia. Anyway, they had to design a rental car company logo and uniform, and they had to rent two hundred and fifty cars. For the scene when they're driving around the lot where the car he rented isn't there. So that was all wow. like basically a set. And they had to rent all of those cars to do that. Uh, and when I mentioned like the editing, you know, the cut of the movie leaving stuff out that you can clearly see where or, that it's not explained. Uh, if you pay attention when they're sitting in the refrigerator truck at the very end of the film, the last little bit of the leg home, uh, Dale has a black eye. And this time, I, honestly, I don't think I noticed it till this time. That's why I wanted to include this bit of trivia. It's like, when did he get hit? Like, when did he get a black eye? Well, it's a deleted scene when they're arrested by the state trooper who was you know, Michael McKean, Mr. Green from clue. And they leave the jailhouse. Dell mentions not having bought insurance for the rental car that got burned. So Steve Martin punches him in the eye. So that's why he has a black eye in that scene, which is not explained in the film and the, in the current cut of the film. And then uh, in case you didn't know, uh, this film has an after credit scene. So most people don't expect a comedy to have, or oh, I take it back in that day and age. Most people didn't think a comedy had a scene at the end, but for, if you've seen this movie 50 times and you've never waited till after the credits, because like I was talking to my brother and like, he's like, there's a scene at the end. I'm like, yeah, dude, you got to watch every movie to the end, no matter what it is. <laughs> uh, but there is a scene at the end. I'm not going to spoil it for you if you haven't seen it, but if you've seen this movie 50, hundred times and never say to the end, you're missing a scene at the end. That's worth, you know, a, a good little, uh, Earlier refer- earlier callback, put it to you that way. Score-wise, like I said, I think this is one of the top 10 funniest films, if not of all time, certainly of the 80s. I'd put it up there with Ghostbusters, Three Amigos, Beverly Hills Cop. I think it is a – it's and it has heart. And I think, you know, I, I don't like the Judd Apatow movies. I don't like Knocked Up, 40-Year-Old Virgin. They're funny. Don't get me wrong, but, I mean, they're two hours. But they're two hours to where it's an hour of comedy and an hour of drama. That balance does not work for me. This is a as, – as it is, Planes, Trains, Automobiles is 93 minutes, and it's – the drama is maybe five minutes. You know, his his speech in the hotel when, he, when Steve Martin, you know, lets him have it and is being a total asshole. And the scene at the end where, you know, they kind of – he brings him home for dinner basically, you know. And that's all they needed through the through the comedy and the character development and the adventure you go on with these two. That's all they needed to show it. And it is it's a gut punch at the end in, in terms of a in a good way. You know, he's on the train, we're actually watching it now. Where he gets on the L and driving away, and it's like, you know, he has that and like you're getting the realization that's when they're filling it in because John Hughes is a good director. There's no heavy-handed exposition. It's all done organically. And again, to me, that's a good director. You know, uh, you, Christopher Nolan, like we talked about last week with Tenet, great director. But I understand why he had to tell you, explain Tenet to you 15 times in the first hour as to how it works. Because like we talked about last week, you know, we got it. Most people still didn't get it. <laughs> Again, no, 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 not judging. You know, it's a, you know, some people, you know, I'm, I can do a podcast. Some people can't. I can get up in public speak whenever I want to. I have no problem with that. Still nervous about it, but I can do it. But some people, you know, would rather, you know, kill an infant than get up in public speaking or cl- excuse me let me take it back club a baby seal rather than get up and uh i went really dark there for a second uh you know as opposed to uh you know get up in public speak you know everybody has their likes and dislikes or things are good you know better at, or less opposed to than others put it to you that way because i'm not saying i'm a good public speaker 
I'm just saying I have no problem doing it if it, if the need calls for it. So I know it's been a while since you've seen it, Jesse. Uh, mm-hmm. I think I did. I said I don't think I got, did. I get my score anyway. If I didn't, if I did already, I'm giving it again. Nine point five. Whoa. Seriously, this is. I truly think that this is a comic comedic masterpiece. Uh, there's. I don't have a bad thing to say about it except that I wish it was longer. Like you know, how often do I say about a film I wish it was a long? Wish it was longer. Hmm. Uh, you know, and again, just my opinion. If you didn't like this movie, if you think it, you know you couldn't stand another minute of it, that's your opinion. Hey, I appreciate you know it's yours. Not saying you're wrong, because opinions there is no right or wrong when it comes to opinions, unless you're talking about you know certain issues about public safety and <laughs> women's rights to choose. So anyway, there you go. A little bit of got to squeeze in that political bit a little, just a tad, just a sprinkling of politics right there at the end. But yeah, nine point five. 100%, like this is a good. Excuse me, this is a great movie. This is great. There's, I have nothing bad to say about this movie. I don't think there's a frame or a second wasted. It is so good. I enjoy watching it every single time I watch it. It makes me laugh. It makes me tear up, especially again. And this is the perfect film to end Candy Month with, honestly. Now, I, I did it this way because, again, for Thanksgiving, we wanted to do it. But, you know, what a good send off. I mean, we'll, we'll eventually do another. Can- you'll probably do Who's, you know, Who's Harry Crumb and some other films that he's done in the 80s over the course of this podcast. You know, so we still have some candy left in the bottom of the bucket mm. down the road. But this is a perfect end uh, for, you know, paying homage to John Candy this month here on the podcast because the last bit of the film, you know, it ends on that freeze frame of him just smiling. And it's just like, you know, it's kind of like the end of Hook. When you watch Hook now with Robin Williams and Dustin Hoffman. The last line of the movie is Robin Williams saying, you know, to live, to live is a great adventure. And man, that just punches me in the gut every time mm-hmm. at the end of that movie because, we, you know, Robin Williams isn't with us anymore either. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and that just that movie, just you know, you know, I loved Hook as a kid. I kind of thought it was cheesy, you know, when I got a little older. And now, you know, we watch it every year because it, it is it is a great movie. Spielberg even hate like I think he did like oh, I didn't do a good enough job on that. Well, you also did War Horse, which sucked. And he ain't made a good movie in a long time. Oh, Ready Player One, I enjoyed. Uh, you know, but Spielberg had a slump there, in my opinion, for a while. But Hook, I think, is is vintage Spielberg, in my opinion. Uh, and again, just that that ending, that last line of Hook is what I'm using to compare the last part of this film, where you know, John Candy comes in. You know, him and Steve Martin are now lifelong. You know, you, you just know it has a good ending. You know, he's he's you know he lost everything, and now he, you know he found he that that character of Dell found a family, he found a friend. You know, despite his annoyances, so to speak, you know, and it's just it just ends with him smiling. And it's just like it's a good send off for, you know, for this month. You know, the, if you don't want to ever watch another John Candy film and you watched every one we watched for this podcast, you're left with a, a, a bidding, uh, you know, at the end, you could put up, you know, John Candy. And then his years at the end of it, you know, it's, it's just so sweet. Uh, and, you know, a, a good, you know, a good salute video audio i mean audio video joke on audio not joke but a video reference on audio podcast i still actually did salute uh <laughs> you know so it's a it's a fitting ending it's so beautiful and goddamn it i miss john candy so mm. I, I just can't imagine the, the amazing roles that we you know unfortunately he didn't get to do uh you know, fred flintstone not that again not that john goodman did a bad job but there's you know you, you could just there's certain movies you can watch I, I can't think of any right now but we actually watched something the other night that was like oh that would have been a perfect role for john candy because obviously he's on my head right now and that meme is going around everywhere i've seen it i've seen it shared in my our friends chat uh text messages i've seen it all over different 80s groups on facebook but it's like you know hey there's candy in the van and it shows like an obvious child molester van so to speak you know if you know what i'm saying air quotes mm-hmm. uh and then the next picture is him playing the uh whatever, whatever i think clarinet, whatever instrument he played in home alone it's him sitting in the van 
you know, as Gus, the po- polka, yeah. polka. Yeah. And it's, it's a meme. I've seen it all over the place now. So, you know, and, and this is the candy. If, if John Candy was in the van, I'm getting in the van. <laughs> so you can, put, you can put your finger inside me as long as it's not John Candy <laughs> doing it. And I can get to hang out with John Candy. Of course, I'm being facetious to any mm-hmm. molestation victims. I'm not glorifying it. It's a horrible thing. Uh, but yeah. So I know, I know it's been a while since you've seen it, Jesse, but from your recollection, you know, I would assume you had a, obviously a good, uh, good recollection of it being a good movie. And what would, based on your memory, of course, you know, what would you score wise? I can't, give? I can't do that. <laughs> well, we will long. come back. Yeah. Oh, here we go. Here we go. We'll exactly. Jesse, a great yeah. score. <laughs> great. Yeah. I agree. You know, mine's a little higher, I think, but you know, absolutely agree, agree with you there. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, so my voice, as you can hear my, I'm still getting over a little bit of a cold. My voice is, <clears throat> excuse me. Sorry. Trying to keep it clear for everybody. Hopefully, I'll be better next episode. But uh, in the real world, again, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles released November 27th, 1987. Five days before, on November 22nd, uh, the Max Hedrum broadcast signal intrusion. Now, if you don't know what I'm talking about, I'm giving a, about to give a little brief thing about it. But go to the Wikipedia page, look it up. It's a go to YouTube. You can watch it. People have recorded it. You know, it's it's there. Uh, it's really cool. An unknown perpetrator, unknown perpetrators, plural, hijacked the signal of WGN TV, which is also in WGN Chicago. So very uh, yeah. <laughs> apropos to go with this movie uh, for about 20 seconds and WTTW for about 90 seconds and displays a strange video of a man in a Max Hedrum mask. If you don't know who Max Hedrum is, Wikipedia that too. But he basically, you know, he, he pirated the signal for a minute and a half uh, of 20 seconds, at least for WJN, which is was a national uh, broadcasting thing. Uh, I mean, WGN, you know, with Chicago, I would, as a kid, I, that's, I would always watch, always, I love the Cubs. When I was in the baseball, I was a really little kid because I hate baseball now. Uh, but I always liked the Cubs because they had like Andre Dawson and uh, I think, not McGuire was the A's, Mark Grace. They had like some big players at the time. And during the day, you know, during the, especially during the summer and stuff, when I was or home, or home, they'd always play the the Chicago Cubs games on WGN. And as a kid, I was like, "Oh, look, there's Andre Dawson. I got, I'm holding his baseball card right now." <laughs> uh, you know that kind of thing. So I'll, I watched the hell out of WGN, and they had like some shows that like weren't on Nick, Nick at Night, or anything like that. Uh, I think Dino Sauce, no, Dino Sauce was a Family Channel. Uh, but there were certain shows that only would come on WGN. Like the first time I was able to record all the Jaws movies was actually because WGN had like a Jaws marathon. And so recorded them all on VHS. Uh, all, like one, one through three, I think, because four was still pretty new at the time. Uh, so, yeah, WGN was a big channel and somebody hijacked the signal of a nationwide network practically back in uh, November 22nd, 1987. So, uh, again, go to YouTube. You can watch the whole thing. It's it's weird. It's 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 really you know creepy. Uh, imagine just watching TV and then this weird stuff. Ha- oh, I didn't know they had this uh, slapping stuff. I don't, I don't remember that. <laughs> He's getting his butt slapped with a fly swatter or something. So don't watch with your kids around. Uh, but yeah, it was real. It's never the dude that did it. Never has, or people that have done it have never been found. So if you're a listener and did that, you know, send me a message on uh, an encrypted message like the Zodiac and uh, <laughs> come interview. I mean, it's, I think it's safe to say you wouldn't be. You know, it's time to come out about and take credit for it but i would imagine the person might you know would def- definitely be older uh to, you know uh not saying you're old but if you're listening which you're not i'm sure but uh, the person the perpetrators you know might be might have aged into death so to speak or they would you know obviously be much older you know are my me and your parents age jesse you know yeah. 
late if, late uh, 60s probably, I'd imagine so, but never been caught. So kind of creepy, but pretty damn cool if you ask me. Back to the Future. This week, uh, I've watched a really good movie, one of which I think is the probably the best movie I've seen all year, to be honest, uh, off the top of my head. Uh, Suicide Squad still my favorite movie I've seen this year because I have a unabashed fandom fanboyism for James Gunn films. Uh, but I think the best movie I've seen, and you know, not necessarily, you know, it's up there in my favorites. But uh, you know, Suicide Squad, I, I can put on and watch anytime because I just love that movie. The new one, not the old one. This year's Suicide Squad, James Gunn's Suicide Squad. <laughs> Please do not ever think that I would give the time of day to the original Suicide Squad movie because it is still a piece of shit. Despite you know, oh, do the just the David Ayer, I think it was the director. Do do the David Ayer cut, Ayer cut. How do you pronounce his name? Yeah, it's a better movie. Like, nah, the Zack Snyder's Justice League was not necessarily a better movie. Uh, I never thought I needed to see a Sesame Seed in slow motion, but you know, thank you, Zack Snyder, for checking that fetish off my list. But anyway, the movie I saw, it's on Amazon, you know, rental at home, and it's still in theaters, but it's Edgar Wright's new film, Last Night in Soho. Ah, uh, yes. And I saw this too. Oh, you did see it? Awesome. Yeah. I don't I don't want to give anything away. Uh, yeah, just definitely. watch it. it. It is so good. The uh, After watching it, I immediately <laughs> downloaded the soundtrack. Uh, both the music from the film in terms of, you know, uh, licensed music, so to speak, but also the original soundtrack, the OST. You know, there's, uh, well, which one? I don't know. Normally, what I when I look at stuff, usually the OST is the the music, like literal just music, like John Williams oh. OST for. I might be, I might have them backwards, because uh, I, I have seen ones where the OST is the, you know, the music, like the artist licensed music. But this film is visually beautiful, amazingly well acted, inc- actually incredibly well acted. It's that Edgar Wright loves Texas switches in his movies. Mm-hmm. And I just want to let everybody, when you're watching this, there is a dance number. And it is not CG. It is all practical. They did it in front of the camera, just like you see it. And as I'm watching, I'm like, I'm thinking like this this looks so good. This can't like if this is CG, I'm absolutely impressed. Wasn't CG. On set, amazing. Uh so yeah, I don't want to say anything else about the film except that I really fucking liked it and it's amazing. Yeah. And if you're watching it and like, like if if you think like this is kind of if, if and you need to, if you don't if you're getting if you're as you're watching the film, if you get a little if you're getting bored. That was I'm not me. saying this for everybody. <laughs> that was me. I was watching, I was Just, like, what the hell am I watching here? And, and then it's funny. The IMDB yeah. tags is what kept me going. Cause the second tag, I was like, when is well, oh, it's yeah. public there? It says drama, horror, mystery. I was like, where's the horror in this? And then just what? Yeah, it's, it's coming. Yeah. <laughs> it's coming. <laughs> see, I, see, I knew, I didn't know it. I'm not going to say a twist, but I knew that it had like, cause on my, on the horror groups that I'm nothing. in and on Facebook, people are like, Oh, I saw this movie last night. It's great. It's, it's awesome. Cause I mean, anything Edgar Wright does, I want to watch because I think he's right. a he's a way. fantastic director. And the way you know, people, you know, Tarantino does great of is is great. And Tarantino and James Gunn are great at picking the music to accentuate their films. But Edgar Wright is a genius of using music in the film, in the design of the film. Uh, go watch Baby Driver if you wonder what I'm talking about. The opening yeah. of Baby Driver. Watch that. You know exactly what I'm talking about. You know when a when a song comes on, come calms. 
when a song comes on in an Edgar Wright film, it's almost like a music video. And I mean that in a good way, like in terms of it's so the music is so paramount to the scenes intrinsically like tied to the scene more so than, you know, Tarantino, a Tarantino film where Uma Thurman is dancing to urge overkill or in J- in James Gunn movies, you know, Star Lord's dancing to, Ooh, gotcha. I can't remember the name of the song, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I got a, a more, not more than a few. I got a, a, I can't think of the name of that song, hooked on but, a uh, feeling. you know, you know, you hooked. Thank you. Jesus. Too many <laughs> songs about feelings, more than a feeling hooked on a feeling. Mm-hmm. Uh, or the, wait, did I say that? Hooked. Wait, wait, I'm confusing. I'm anyway, I'm getting confused in my head. Cause there's too many feeling songs. Uh, anyway. Yeah. So, I, I mean, honestly, like I was saying, probably the best film I've seen all year uh, in terms of uh, not my, again, Suicide Squad's my favorite. And again, there is a, if you don't understand that, there's a, just, you know, you, you know, Street Fighter is one of my favorite films. It would never be on my best of list, except of best of favorite films. <laughs> and, you know, Soho, my last time in Soho was probably my favorite, I think the best film made this year that I've seen uh, just on all levels. Like, you know, there should be some, uh, uh, nominations for this film uh, when it comes January for the Oscars. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, but last last year I was correct with my pick of uh, shit, Promising Young Woman uh, being my favorite film, I think one of the, the best film of last year and also deserving Oscar noms, which it did. Unfortunately, it didn't win because everybody just fucking nuts over uh, I mean, I mean, that's a horrible way to explain that very chauvinistic mm-hmm. I take it back it was meant to be an expression everybody goes crazy over Frances McDormand which she is an amazing actress do not get me wrong but I did not get Nomadland I thought that was of all the films nominated for best picture I thought that was the worst one but obviously what the fuck do I know because it got best picture and Frances McDormand got best actress was she good in it yes was she better than Carrie Mulligan in uh, promising young woman. I don't think so, but again, that's just me, and that's why we have opinions so we can talk about it. So yeah, and if you haven't seen Nomadland, don't, <laughs> unless you want to see every movie that's ever won Best Picture. Uh, but that's a movie that got the uh, Chloe Zhao the uh, not uh, that put that's what put her on the map, and that's how she got Eternals, from my uh, understanding. Uh, which I don't see how, because I don't see how you could look at Nomadland and think this person should direct an MCU movie. <laughs> But I could look at Promising Young Woman, and I, it escapes me who directed it. But I could look at that movie, and if that person got the role of doing an MCU film, I could absolutely see it. You know, they, Edgar Wright was attached to Ant Man at first. That yeah. would have been amazing. I'm not, you know, I like I like both Ant Man movies. I think they're people always put them near the bottom, but I think they're really fucking great. Uh, Emerald Fennel directed mm-hmm. uh, Promising Young Woman, and you know, I could see her doing a Marvel film. You know, I don't see how you go from Nomad Land to the Marvel MCU. I have not seen Eternals. Uh, I will wait for Disney Plus because I just, you know, I really, I, I truly don't understand why they're like, they have the Punisher, uh, Daredevil, Ghost Rider, Moon Knight. You know, there, I know some of these characters are coming up in TV shows, which can't wait for Moon Knight. Uh, which you have so many other core characters that deserve to be in the MCU, and you pick the Eternals. Mm-hmm. Nobody knows who the fuck the Eternals are. They don't even have a regular book. They didn't even have a regular book coming out monthly until recently to build up the hype for the movie because they're not that cool. I mean, Thanos is an eternal in case you didn't know, but you know, Thanos is dead. They should have been out in the previous phase. You know, that's when they were needed. That's their whole big thing kind of in the comics. Uh, Again, I have not seen the movie, uh, but our good old, uh, 
and I don't want to even mention his name after what he did to me last week. I still got a bump on the back of my head. Doomslayer was telling me on Facebook that uh, let me see, I can bring it up to say it to. I don't, I don't want to misquote Doomslayer because he's right. He'll get angry. He's a little, yeah, you know. Got angry. I, I mean, I, I like to please our listeners, so I don't want to be rude, you know. But I mean, dude needs to chill. Dude needs therapy. But uh, oh, he that, said, uh, yeah, seriously. Maybe that could be his new YouTube uh, series. <laughs> Doom him Slayer on a couch therapy <laughs> and doomslayer you can have it you can you can take that bit i, I give it to you freely uh but he but uh doomslayer said after, after the absolute dryness and boredom of the eternals i'll gladly take two t- comic relief characters in shang chi mm. so that is and again you know i've heard i've heard mixed things about the eternals and you know most of the mixing that i've heard is that if you don't like it you're obviously hate diversity and if you and so you should all you know it's kind of the black widow thing or uh i'm sorry uh Wonder Woman thing, like, you know, or Captain Marvel, I keep it MCU, Captain Marvel, like Captain Marvel is one of my favorite Marvel characters before the movie. So I was super pumped for that movie to come out. The movie is a disservice to the character. To me, I do not like the movie at all. I was extremely disappointed with the movie, despite the, you know, nostalgic 80s, 90s aesthetic of it. It didn't the movie. I was just I walked in like they, you know, they they I thought they nailed the costume. You know, that I think that's a vital part because I was worried they were gonna make it too sexy. You know, kind of like the you know movies tend to do to make it a little more less practical, which is so stupid. You know, a lot of the stuff they did good, like visually, but it was just such a disappointment. And I say that being a Captain Marvel fan, but I can't go online and say that because oh, you chauvinist. You know, oh, you, you must hate women. No, I actually cha- I try to do my best to champion causes for women, and I don't try not to be any kind of discriminatory because I don't believe in that shit. You know, Ellen Ripley and Sarah Connor are two of my heroes when I was a kid. You know. You know, and just because I didn't like Ghostbusters 2016, because it sucked, because it wasn't funny, not because who was in it. You have funny people in it. They just didn't get to do what they do best because the script sucked. And also you're trying to say that it's a remake, even though they did. They extremely backpedaled on that to say it wasn't a remake, mm-hmm. uh, which they did. You know, that was that was why, they. you know, you don't remake Ghostbusters. You don't remake Back to the Future and you better keep your goddamn studio hands off Jaws because you cannot remake that. The only way you can remake Jaws to me is if you came out and said, we're doing Jaws, but we're doing a book accurate version, which you're still fighting a losing battle because the book sucks compared to the movie, period. Uh, you know, we're doing an R-rated Jaws, but it's going to be based on the book. Well, I see it. Yeah. Well, I'll be interested. Yeah. But I know it will never, ever be as good as the original. Mainly, you know, it's t- the original's timestamp. I mean, it created the summer blockbuster. It caused, you know, to quote part two, caused panics on public beaches, you know, pretty much made a whole generation and generations still afraid to go in the water. You know, so you're not going to do that. You know, back to the future, if you remake it, you can't do that. You, you can do a sequel. You know, if you do want to do a sequel, I have no problem with that. Just say it's a sequel. That's fine. I have no problem with that. You know, if 2016 had they come out and said, we're doing a, you know, this is a sequel. Is it Ghostbusters three? Well, no. Okay, so you're it's a reboot then. Okay, that's fine. You're not you're honoring the original. You're saying you know incorporate instead of incorporating the original characters as these clump as these random people that show up, just make it a sequel. Like that's all they had. They had everybody there for Ghostbusters twenty sixteen, and they fucked it up. Also, I have not seen Afterlife yet because. We record on Tuesdays, and that's my day when Violet's in daycares. Right now, I don't have time to fit it in. Mm. And Thursday is Thanksgiving, so I'll probably catch it next week whenever I can because I really want to see it. I've heard it, it hits all the nostalgia buttons, which some people say that's stupid. It makes it and hurts the movie, which I don't give a fuck. You know, <laughs> uh, 
Thor, you know, that's that's you know, honestly that's what people that's the, people who love the original. That's what they want to see. Honestly, to be you know, to let's break it down here. You know, ghost. There's not like there's a ghost. Ghost when Ghostbusters came out, there was a huge market for it. They had the, they had the you know, of course they had the real Ghostbusters cartoon, but then also previously they had I think just Ghostbusters or whatever it was before, predated that. You know, there was another one. Uh, of course, the Ghostbusters '84 was not tied to that. Uh, you know, but Ghostbusters when Ghostbusters came out, it was there was Ghostbuster Mania. It was on every T-shirt. You know, that logo is still iconic. Probably one of the most recognizable logos of all uh, movie logos from all of all time. Uh, you know, so you can't go say you can't remake it. If in 2016, if they just would have said it's Ghostbusters three, and the original Ghostbusters were there to like you know usher them in, you know, people a lot of people give so much flack for the new Star Wars trilogy. You know, I see you know Last Jedi, the whole you know new uh, prequel esque casino part, I totally hate. A lot of the other stuff, I don't have a problem with. Uh, what was the last one? Rise of Skywalker. A lot of nostalgia bits in that one. It worked for me. I I thoroughly enjoyed it. Now, does it work? You know, can I be critical and tear it apart? Absolutely. But it worked. In that theater, I had a smile on my face the whole time. It did its job, you know. Uh, but, of course, you know, I understand the whole thing. You know, the, you know, the, you know, all of a sudden, Ray can heal things with the Force. Whatever, wank, wank. Uh, you know, yeah, I'm not going to disagree with that. But I, I in the theater, I had, a, I, I had nothing but a huge-ass smile on my face the whole time. It was so good. It was the little things. A lot of nostalgia. Yes. We talked about that before. Nostalgia is the sharpest double-edged sword there is. Probably next to being a white male and trying to talk about your opinion hmm. critically of things on, <laughs> about, on the internet. Uh, and I mean that facetiously, keyboard warriors. Because, uh, hmm. you know, I forgot why we even got on this tangent. But uh, as, as par for the course here. But anyway, uh, last night in Soho, highly recommend. Favorite yep. film of the year. <laughs> so uh, I don't know where I was going, but I was trying to get to about Ghostbusters Afterlife. So, and then we did get an email from our other pal in the UK, UK Pete. Uh, he says, Trey and Jesse, hello, how are you? Oh, I'm sorry. Let me, I want to, I, I, I read UK Lee's in an English accent, so I will attempt this one too. Uh, I'll try it, I'll try it more in a Liverpoolian accent. Oh, Troy, Jesse, hello, hello, how are you? Hope you're keeping well. Let me wish you all a very happy Thanksgiving. Hope you have a better one this year. Love the Uncle Buck episode as it's probably my favorite John Candy film. In fact, this episode prompted me to order a Blu-ray copy of my own. Such a lovely, heartwarming film. And as an uncle, not a father, I identify with Buck a great deal. Always good to spend time with the kids and be able to hand them back at the end of the day. I 100% agree with that <laughs> until my wife made me have a child. And right. that's complete facetiousness. You know. Uh, anyway, really enjoyed John Candy Month so far. I'm looking forward to PT&A. Even went back and listened to Spaceballs episode, which is now eight years old. Jesus Christ, that makes me feel old. <laughs> Ooh, I bet we sound wow. like children. <laughs> yeah. Imagine, you know, I, I've I've listened to every episode that we've done, like, you know, usually the week after mm-hmm. or, you know, in a close proximity. I've uh, I've rarely gone back, but I know for a fact it's it's so much better now. Because <laughs> our first, like, non-five-star review was that person that gave us, like, three stars. Like, you know, oh, it's great, but I can't hear anything. Right. Well, Which, to be fair, that was the Star Wars episode. <laughs> yeah, Even that was a I could, clusterfuck. Yeah, I could probably, like, uh, do a remastered version of that. It'll sound better. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just redo it. To, you know, if you don't like that, I we'll just talk about it again. Revisit, revisited. I, I, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, anyway, uh, Pete closes out 
Lovely to have you both back on a regular basis. Take care for now. Your pal in the UK, Pete. And now, Pete, I don't remember where you're from in the UK, but if you're not from wherever my bad accent was imitating, I do apologize. Which is nowhere. Nope. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, man. We got Martin and Kennedy right here, everybody. Look at that. Look at that chemistry. Like, great. Well played. Well played. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, good to hear from you, Pete. Take care. Glad you got your own copy of Uncle Buck. John Candy, you know, and, and again, I'm not, as we say, like, I personally think that his best performance is in Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Uncle Buck and uh, Cool Runnings, a close second. Probably, I'd probably put Uncle after seeing Uncle Buck so recently, too, probably, probably say Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, Uncle Buck, then Cool Runnings for me. Uh, and then maybe even Home Alone, honestly, because, I mean, again, you know, give that man five minutes of screen time and you got a memorable part. Blues Brothers, you know, his part in Blues Brothers is memorable. He's only on the screen for like three minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I mean, he, he, when he sh- pops up in a film, it's a good moment. It's one of the best moments of whatever film he pops up in. And it's honestly, it's, I've truly enjoyed, you know, reflecting on him. Cause I, I, you know, he's honestly, you know, aside from now with that meme of his popping around with candy in the van, most people don't even know him. He died in 94, mm-hmm. you know, there's, you know, unless kids, parents are showing him these films or people are stumbling upon this podcast or whatever other podcast, you know, he's kind of forgotten by the younger generation. Same thing with Ernest. You know, Jim Varney died way too early, unfortunately. So, you know, it's, you know, only the, only, it's Ernest and especially, excuse me, sorry. Yeah. He's kept alive, thankfully, to people like me who are going to make our kids watch these movies, you know, whether they like it or not, you're going to watch Ernest Says Christmas and for Christmas time, we're going to watch Scared Stupid for Halloween. We're going to watch Goes to Camp in the summer. We'll watch Go to Jail whenever we feel like it because it's, you know, there's no holiday tied to that one, mm. you know, but these, some of these stars, you know, that died way too young, unfortunately, you know, I feel like, you know, if, if, if you know, you know, but I, I just don't think that, you know, this younger, they're, they're going to be more of the, I hate to say forgotten, but less revered, I guess would be a better way to put it as time goes on because of, you know, dying a little too young, you know, uh, Andy Kaufman, for example, for me, like, you know, I, I knew the name, but I, you know, I didn't really know him because he died a little before kind of my time, you know? So watching man on the moon was like, until they have, you know, until they have the John Candy biopic or, or they revitalize Ernest with John Cena. There you go. With that billion bucks. That's another movie we're going to do. John Cena is going to take over Ernest. However much it takes to get Cena to do that. We're going to do a whole new string of Ernest movies. (laughs) So, so you see Elon, somebody who knows Elon, tell him, I don't want to work for Bezos. Fuck that. He's Lex Luthor. Fuck him. Elon, I don't agree with his politics sometimes, but he seems like he'd be the one to be like, oh, I made flamethrowers for, I know he doesn't speak like that because he's American, but it's like, you know, or I think he's South African. Shit, I don't remember. I think he does have an accent. Elon, Sorry, South Elon. African, don't Yeah. yeah but, uh, you know, like, and I, I'm not going to try that because I'll just sound English when I try to do that. I don't want to bring up any <laughs> apartheid memories uh, for that. But yeah, you know, Elon, you, you know, come on, man. I, I, we, we here at 80s, we have the vision. We can make this happen. I know you grew up on these movies too. Go watch, go watch. Ernest goes to camp and scared stupid and then get back with us and be like, you know what? You know what? Here you go. Here's the billion bucks. I got to get rid of some of this money anyway. Mm. Go make your Ernest movies with John Cena. <laughs> Done. <laughs> All right, Cena, how much is it going to take for a minimum four picture deal? Because we got to do a Thanksgiving one, an Easter one. We got to get the holidays in. But then we also, then we got to get the rights for Friday the 13th to have John Cena fight Jason Voorhees and Ernest goes to camp too. And the camp is Camp Crystal Lake. So 
Just got to convince him to lose know. like 100 pounds before he gets into the world. <laughs> well, no, I think, it's, I think it's funny for him to be, you know, because Jim Varney was, you know, he was small, but I mean, you know, life. I think, you know, he's like a, you know, a Manny Pacquiao, you know, I mean, if you look at him, I mean, the dude's ripped, mm. uh, for, but for his size, you know, which I'm not scrawny, uh, I mean, but very thin, you know, I'm not sure the accurate, most accurate way to say it. See, I think it'd be funnier if, you know, John Cena is, so, you know, son of Ernest or, you know, or a relative or even a younger brother or however, you, you know, whatever we could, you, know, you got to plan it out four films down the road for the Ernest verse, you know, because that's the thing. We, we start off with a couple ones, you know, surefire hits, and then we branch out to the crossovers, Ernest versus Freddy, uh, you know, for the Halloween one, because we're not going to read. We're not going to remake Scared Stupid. We're going to do a different ho- you know, horror one. So you have an Ernest movie for every holiday. Mm. Fucking President's Day. Ernest goes back in time and he's bungling the revolution, the Declaration of Independence or something. <laughs> you know, we have, you know, and get and actually, you know what? I got it. We have to have an Ernest crossover with National Treasure. So we get, we can have John Cena. We can have Ernest meet Nicolas Cage. Actually, that should be the title of it. Ernest meets Nicolas Cage. And <laughs> it's just, you know, yeah, that's all we need. The Wicker Man <laughs> with Ernest. <laughs> oh, God. oh, not the beans, Vern. No. <laughs> <laughs> and see, it, we end the last one. We bring Ernest into the MCU because he's obviously cannot die. Right. You know, I mean, the character he's invincible. So it, you know, eventually, we have to have a cameo. We have to pay the money to have him show up just one scene in like Phase Seven or whatever, where it's like you know, uh, uh, who's gonna? I guess Kang blows up a, a school or something, and then like Ernest is there, and he just shielded everybody somehow because he's so big, <laughs> and it's like you know, and then you have. Captain Marvel, like, I knew it. And then it turns around and then shooting Mjolnir comes to his hand because Ernest is the, the purest soul. So <laughs> he's also also rich great- from all of his endorsements. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, his vest has more patches on it, you know, for like just like Brock Lesnar's uh, ring tights. <laughs> yeah. You just get more and more endorsements where his vest is, his <laughs> denim vest is full of patches. So, yeah. So, you know, Candy Month. It's been a blast. I hope. I hope if you haven't seen a lot of these, uh, you know. So if you if you follow along at home, uh, that you've been introduced to some great film. You know, a couple of good films, I'd say, of the first two, and two great films at the end. Ending strong is what we try to do. We structure the mm-hmm. arrangement of these months, and I think we, you know, having to do planes, trains, automobiles on Thanksgiving really worked our favor for that. So I'll take credit for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, if you need to, you know, reach out to us, 80sRevisited at gmail.com. On Facebook, 80s Revisited Podcast. On Instagram, 80s underscore revisited. Uh, and then check out our f- good friend, uh, John, with Cajun Toy Review uh, on YouTube. Uh, I think he just did some uh, of the MCU toys uh, as well as being in the MCU. And don't forget the BAMcast. And even though you blindsided me, Doom Slayer, which I never expected you to do. So, uh, you know, I have to give you credit for coming all the way here. I know that was expensive. You got like 26 <laughs> kids. Yep. You know, to beat, you know, to, to, you know, to attack me from behind. You, I mean, you know, one day maybe we'll meet in a squared circle. Probably not because I'm way out of shape and you definitely, you know, I, hey, if you fought me, Doomslayer, you get your first win. Ha! Anyway, uh, check out T, uh, TCW, Tasmanian Championship Wrestling. Root for the Doomslayer. If you're in Tasmania or in Australia, buy some of his merch. I talked to Doomslayer about a Doomslayer shirt and it would... With the way shipping is, it would cost <laughs> way more to ship it than it would bubble. for the shirt. <laughs> oh, that's a good idea. Yeah. 
then you're just yeah, just put it on uh, one of those sites, global sites, and then you just put the image, and I could maybe buy it locally. I'll, if I if I feel like it, I'll talk to Doomslayer about it. But yeah, right. Check, well, I like watch him on YouTube too as well. I find it, you know, of course I know Ben. Uh, you know, I, not, not we've never physically met, but you know we've known each other a long time thanks to this podcast and you know all that. So I do feel like I, I do know him and all that. And I think whether I knew him or not, I it, I find the Doomslayer character, you know, he's he's sort of the earnest of wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> and Doomslayer, but if don't get ticked, that's a compliment. You know, nigh indestructible, but you got to, you know, you're entertaining to watch, my friends. So keep it up. And uh, to all of our listeners out there, especially those in Qatar, hey, but we, we dropped four <laughs> places with the Uncle Buck episode. Oh, it'll pick you got to bump up. them numbers up. Those are those are rookie numbers <laughs> and get them numbers up. Yes. So uh, to all our friends worldwide uh, this week for us here in America, not that I'm trying to push Americanism on anybody, but we are celebrating Thanksgiving. I know it's a week earlier in Canada, like we learned last week. Uh and all that, but you know, so from us, you know, because uh, some people hate when you say Merry Christmas if you celebrate Christmas, and right. you know, so everybody's wanting to say Happy Holidays. But nevertheless, we celebrate Thanksgiving in two days here. So to everybody, I wish a very happy and safe Thanksgiving. Uh, come back next week. Uh, I'm not sure what we're going to do. I have to see. Uh, you know, uh, like we're telling. Uh, I think it was, again. <laughs> was it Mike? I think it was Mike Hastings. I'm sorry. I know it's Hastings. Was your last name, homie? Yeah, Mike. Uh, yeah, so Mike, yeah, uh, you know, I, I want to do Vampire's Kiss, but I don't know if I want to save that for Halloween next year or whatever. Mm, so I'm not sure. Yeah. It'll be, you know, the next few episodes will be single episodes before we do another, you know, month theme month again. So if you got any requests, which we actually did on, uh, was it Instagram? I just saw. Yeah, someone just sent it a was Facebook for, request. It was uh, Facebook. That's it. Yeah, I had it up to mention it, and now it's gone for some reason. Cause, yeah, we'll look back. But at it was that later. for. Uh, Oh, I got. Oh, wait, no, it's on Messenger. That's why I'm fucking up. I was on. Yeah, uh, Nick, I'm, I'm going to butcher your last name, most likely, but I'm going to try my best. So please forgive me. Uh, Nick Opalowski. Opal Whiskey. I think. I think that's that's as close as I'm going to get until I hear it pronounced. Yeah. Uh, but he actually sent a Facebook message and he said, uh, you know, he introduced himself. But he said, I'm requesting for you to review the 80s TV sitcom that aired from 89 to 97. Coach. Now, as a, when I was a kid, my my dad watched it. I watched Coach. I love Dauber. I think Dauber was his name. Jerry Van Dyke was great on the show. It's kind of hard to review a show right. on the podcast because I would want to like. Now, I could review Cheers. Seen every single episode of Cheers. Uh, I'd have to look at you know some other sitcoms uh, that I've watched. You know, I, I would want to either do like a season review, or or you know, I could do an over. I mean, we could do an, maybe a special episode of like an overview of like shows that we remember. Maybe we could do right. something like that. But uh, you know a whole se- you know a whole series of a show, especially one you know again I like Coach as a kid. Don't get me wrong, mm-hmm. uh, but you know it was only one year in the eighties. Much like Say by the Bell was only pretty much in eighty nine, I think. And you know Say by the Bell is actually more of a is a nineties show. But as we talked about them before, you know anything yeah. in the first few years of the nineties is still it's not necessarily nineties. It's more of like still the eighties because you know that's you know there's really no cutoff for it. You know so a lot of that stuff people think of is. 80s is actually 90s but also a lot of stuff some people think of as 90s is actually 80s so it's a it's a very uh, thin slippery slope there with that but you know uh we'll think you know me and jesse will kick some ideas around uh but definitely can't do the whole series because you know i remember the show i can't remember any episodes but i remember the characters I remember craig t nelson and as we've mentioned before we walked past craig t nelson right, going right. to wrestlemania 30 in new orleans <laughs> I had to do a d- literal double take. One of the few double takes I've ever truly done in my life was like, ah, 
was that Craig T. Nelson? <laughs> anyway, in hindsight, we should have ran after him. Like, do you, you know, please, do you mind? You know, but it was just like, it was more like flabbergasted to see a celebrity. Because, <laughs> again, my brother, my parents have seen celebrities on planes back and forth to California. Uh, actually, Craig T. Nelson, I think, is the only celebrity that I've, you know, seen aside from a con, a convention. Because I've met Elvira. I've met Robert England, I've met Bruce Campbell. I met Norman Reedus. That was all at Wizard World, you know, the cons. Uh, but I'm, you know, in the wild, so to speak, uh, my mom, my Gary, my mom met Gary Busey. I had, I, I actually got to talk on the phone to Gary Busey, yeah. uh, which was, you know, all, you know, next best thing to meeting him. And he told me to fly. I have to keep going because life, you know, you don't, you don't control when your life ends. You have to keep flying over the mountain like an eagle. That was kind of the gist of what he told me. But I was super, she took a picture. I'm talking on the phone with me. She's taking a video in hindsight, mom, but uh, I'm not going <laughs> to complain. But, uh, you know, I've never, in, I've seen, so I've, I've talked to Gary Busey in the wild, so to speak. I've seen Craig T. Nelson in the wild, but I've never, you know, been in the grocery store and there's, you know, Gina Davis or something like that. You know, I've never actually right. met one in the wild. Well, you're in so the land speak. of stars now. I know, but it's COVID. Oh, so yeah, <laughs> they're, they're all, you know, and, you know, oh I, oh, I saw Jimmy Fallon at Disney World, but he was getting, you know, they were, hmm. were in line. Like, I heard that voice, I heard that voice. I was like, that sounds like Jimmy Fallon. I look over there and he's like, oh, you know, talking to the person who, you know, because celebrities pay, I think it's like $6,000 or something like that. It's yeah. where like you get that private escort through Disney where they take you to the rides. They keep, you know, they kind of take care of you if you're a celebrity to avoid having to sit in an hour long line and sign autographs the whole time hmm. uh, or feel pressured to, I guess. So he was there with his kids. So, you know, I, saw, I did see Jimmy Fallon. Uh, we were, went to Disneyland a few months ago. Uh, which, you know, I never, I'd never been a Jimmy Fallon fan, even on, on SNL. I hated him on <laughs> SNL because he was always the one cracking up, ruining right. the bits, you know, which in hindsight, I do like that now. But at the time I was like, I was always like, oh, Jimmy, oh, great. Will Ferrell's going to come out and Jimmy Fallon's going to laugh. And, you know, but it, it, it was, you know, it, I, I'm giving him more credit than I gave him then because, you know, opinions change. Everybody laughs uh, now. Yeah, it's now now I find it so much more endearing to him yeah. that you know in hindsight you know uh, nothing against Jimmy Fallon just you know for a good even time. even though I did <laughs> even if I did see you know I did see him I didn't want to go like talk to him like oh my god it's Jimmy Fallon you know uh, me would be like holy shit it's Gary Busey like oh my god I'll, actually with Gary Busey I'll be too scared my mom knows that, like she doesn't care she just goes up and talks to people you know I try to be you know I would want to be respectful if I saw one of them in the wild. One of them and all that, <laughs> but uh, you know, but you really yeah, exactly just go for it, you know. But there's really like you know, if I, depending on who I like, if I saw if, like if I saw Hugh Jackman, I'd be like, oh my god, I have you know, I'd be dumb st- or, or Mark Hamill or Harrison Ford, you know, I'd be, I would be starstruck, you know. Mm-hmm. The day after the U2 concert in New Orleans, uh, some woman posted her story on Facebook on like a U2 group, and it was like, yeah, I was just sitting in a cafe on uh, I think it was on Frenchman Street or something. And then Bono was there having coffee the next day after the concert. I was like, I told you we should have like stayed in town. And like, I knew they were going to hang out. And the woman's like, yeah, I had a 20 minute conversation with Bono. It was amazing. I'm like, oh my God, that should have been me. Told you we should have stopped him. <laughs> yeah. You know, I've never had that experience of meeting a celebrity. Like, uh, but honestly, and from my, you know, I would be respectful, but it would, it would also have to be a certain celebrity for me to even want to go to like, it'd be, you know, oh, there's a, uh, like who would I not care about? Oh, there's uh, Jennifer Lawrence. Like you know, I would leave her alone. You know, Eminem. I would leave him alone because he'd probably kick my ass anyway. Uh, you know, uh, Jimmy Fallon. Like, but like, like <laughs> Arnold or uh, you know uh, Adam Driver for like or any uh, 
Charlize Theron or even Anya Taylor, like actors that I just truly like enjoy watching that I really like, like, yeah, it, those would be the ones I'd, I'd want to approach or try to like, you know, get their attention. Like, is it okay to, you know, or just, you know, engage them, I should say. Right. Uh, like that, you know, uh, Lance Henriksen, you know, any, yeah, oh, go ahead. Sorry. With, comes with the job of being celebrity. Yeah. So, well, well, I got cards, uh, printed out cards. I don't know. I have to send you a picture. I made cards and everything. I talked about that like a long time ago. Uh, I do have cards now to hand out when I, if I ever do see somebody. So I keep some in my wallet for that. But again, I don't ever get to see anybody. So. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, nevertheless, anyway, everybody don't know what next week's video movie is going to be. I will post it on Instagram once I decide and get it in the thing. So follow us on there on Instagram, but also Facebook and Twitter. Again, if you leave a message on Twitter, that's the wild west because I don't right. check it. So you can say any kind of bullshit you want. And I might not check it for months down the road. I hate Twitter. I don't understand it. I'm an old, again, I don't, I'm proud to say I suck at Twitter. And Doom Slayer, you're probably not that good at, well, you probably are good at Twitter because you're younger than me. But uh, yeah, so don't, yeah, I'll take that. I'll take that dig, Doom Slayer. You can mock me about Twitter all you want. All you want. So anyway, everybody, until next week, stay safe. Happy Thanksgiving. And for the last time till the next John Candy movie, Candy Bunga! Oh, wait, sorry. Hold on. Let's redo it. Until next... I forgot about you, Jesse. All right. <laughs> it's all about me. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Re- take two. Until next time, I remain Trey Harris. Jesse Sedgley. Candy Bunga. This show and more on Facebook.com slash AwesomePods. And follow us on Twitter at AwesomePods. Pods.